to oranges uh i'm mike uh and i'm arthur welcome back arthur this is uh i think it's our third one together something like uh, that. But that that sounds right we've either done two or we've done one really long one i'm not sure uh i went back and checked and we listened to nate roos and then uh watched gone girl so we had done that was two different podcasts for sure, at least so well, I don't know what 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 theme could we have used to unite Gone Girl and listening to Nate Ruse? Probably uh, something about was it Gone Girl or was it Gone Baby Gone? Oh, you're right, Gone Baby Gone. So, so yeah. I have Gone Girl in my notes for like something later on. So that's probably why I had that fresh in my mind. Very. See, you have a good memory. Steel trap it, it, up there. It, it, it could be. It could be. The theme could be. Could be people caught up in the Me Too movement. Uh, is was Ben Affleck in there? Uh, Casey Affleck. Oh, really? Uh, oh, I didn't know that. And, and then uh, Nate Roos. Oh, good for him. Or not good. He's a bad person. It's okay if he disappears for doing something bad. I'm okay I, actually, I actually have no knowledge of Nate Roos. I just feel like it's coming. He looks like a creep, but I don't know if he would ever like work up the nerve to establish himself and try to use that as power over men or women, let alone <laughs> houseplants. I don't think he... <laughs> Cats are terrified of him. <laughs> it's he's like the reverse of the Pied Piper. Cats no, run away from him wherever he goes. He's the Kevin Spacey of cats. Ugh, gross. <laughs> now I get it. Okay. <laughs> he's the Harvey Weinstein of the South County Concord Animal Hospital. That's darkly specific. All right. Uh, so welcome back. This is uh, comparing apples to oranges, the podcast where we take two things in the same category that don't belong in the same genre and using a special set of criteria to decide which one's better. Uh, this was today's category we'd been working on, um, like we'd been discussing it for at least a year and a half. Easily three and a half years. And I think the only issue with uh, causing it to fruition was that... Um, some some of it was timing and some of it's like uh, inertia, and it's kind of like I still haven't uh, up till yesterday I had not told my mom that I have a podcast just because you know we say swear words on here and that makes me very uncomfortable for her to know that that happens. Um, but, well, which, which is which is funny because I think Martha will let me know when a new podcast posts. Oh, that's nice. She a fan of the show. Uh, she likes it. She doesn't understand the name. That's fair. That uh, I mean, like in in her defense, she, she, you she confused understand Kato, the name. Oh, she the... confused Cato Cato with Kafo. She thinks it's about like, um, you know, an, an animal farm. Oh, that kind of. Your mom knows about Kafos. That's pretty pretty progressive. <laughs> she uh she got a gift card to Left Bank Books a couple of years ago, and it's been a it's Very been a trip left. ever since. Yeah, it's a pretty good store. Um. So this this today's category is about uh, mom films, and um, particularly our mom's favorite movies. And uh, we're we're missing Mother's Day by just a week, which is not bad considering um, at some point we were going to do this in like January. So th- it's good that we waited. Um, and then feels, you're gonna... feels feels more timely now. Yeah, because it's May May Day 
for moms. Yeah. Um, so what made you think of this as a good category? Um, I think what I liked is, uh, what I, well, first, I mean, and I'll do a, a slow pitch for my idea has been, and will always be that we, we can contrast, uh, ACDC, uh, and we do it in two, two fashions. One, we, we catalog our experiences listening to the band ACDC. And then two, we, uh, we, we also chronicle our experiences interacting with alternating currents and direct currents. Um, and <laughs> I still stand by, I have two fundamental issues with this, but I want you to keep going because I think you still have more to say about this topic. No, I just think, and I'm going to preempt what I think your biggest objection is, which is like, how do we like categorize this? One, what you do is you listen to the album, uh, the album uh, Back in Black, and then while you do it, you shock yourself with a socket <laughs> and you shock yourself with a battery, and that were, therefore you're getting shocked by your two experiences: AC current and DC current. Which one feels most like the music? Which one feels least consistent with the music? And you just you keep a journal, and then we have a podcast about it. It's not right. hard. Uh, it's pretty clean, actually. Uh, okay, that was my the fun, the fundamental. The first fundamental issue I had was, yes, uh, I did not know how to at all <laughs> compare the two, especially because uh, I can't listen to ACDC without using uh, a plug, uh, an outlet, like I have to play it through something. Um, but I'm, I'm getting away from myself. The second issue is uh, one that I think is going to win out because – the specifics of the podcast is it has to be new content that we are consuming, new media. And um, I know for a fact that you have shocked yourself with a battery before, and you've listened no, to No, I've, I've licked a battery. You get a tingling feeling. See? Shock. See? All right. Well, that's, you just hoisted yourself in your own petard there. Uh, and then... Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I know it's the phrase that you use when you <laughs> try to burn someone. Uh, and then I know, like, personally, I've listened to just about everything ACDC has put out, even the stuff okay. that they sold at Walmart. Okay, so we, 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 we listen to, we find a cover band. We Okay, here, we'll even make it a road trip, a road trip podcast, which I don't think you've done, a little basement podcast. We'll, we'll find an ACDC cover band, go see them, and then have a taser, and mm. and a faulty wire that we plug into the wall at the venue. We shock ourselves there. And that way it's new, and it's new. So, you know, listen, I, I think you could, Mike Bono, imagine a thousand ways to shoot down an idea that you didn't like for editorial reasons. Oh, can't, can't do movies. I've seen movies before. You know, what's new, okay? At what generality do we define anything? I'm just saying it's a good idea. Now that it's going to be aired, if you're brave enough to not cut this part out of the podcast, I think you're going to see a clamoring for this type of material and uh, a bit of an outcry to have me back on the podcast through this idea. But time will tell. Let's not you and me decide it right now. Let's leave it to the voters. Um, I will have to, of course, delete it because you tried to call me out and can't have that. <laughs> Such a fascist podcaster. Hey, uh, you know, no one's arguing that. Oh, so what I was saying before we got cut off, I need you to come up with a hard number of people to uh, email the podcast, and then we will do it. I need a hard number. Eight. No, there's no way. 
We got, let's let's do twenty five. <laughs> <laughs> Seventeen. Deal. <laughs> as long as it's prime. I'm, that's weird, but I'm fine with that. Um, okay. So, so. I, I, I think one, one thing we've glossed over that I think is worth talking about as we jump back into the podcast is how exactly we decided to do this and the methodology we used. Okay. And, you know, I think, you know, one, I think I knew that I kind of knew that when we started talking about a podcast from conversation to recording was usually about seven months. So I was thinking about May when we were discussing this back in November. Oh. Um, I also know that me coming from a long line of Irish stereotypes and you coming from a long line of Italian stereotypes, uh, it made sense to focus on, uh, you know, the mothers in our lives because they have unique special roles for us. And, you know, that, you know, for, you know, I, I know that a lot of the movies I watched, I watched kind of through my dad, whether it was Die Hard yeah. or Godfather or whatever. And I thought it was worthwhile. It was kind of a bit off the beaten path to try to explore my mom's favorite movies. And in fact, I didn't even know what my mom's five favorite movies were. So what we did was we asked our moms what their five favorite movies were. And if there was a movie in those five that we hadn't seen, then we'd seen it. We'd, we'd, we'd watch it and compare the two. And so I asked my mom her five movies. I can't remember a single other movie she said right now. <laughs> but she did say... Uh, the Sound of Music. So that was the one that, and that was the, I had seen everything but that. So we watched Sound of Music, and, and Mike, what did you talk to your mom about? She, um, like the her top five consisted of um, It Could Happen to You and Moonstruck, which are two movies with Nicolas Cage in it. But I had already seen them, and then um, I think she said Beauty and the Beast, and uh, the movie. What? Live action or cartoon? She's only seen the cartoon, okay. which, fun fact, won an Academy Award when it came out. For music? I don't remember. It it was up for Best Picture, but I don't think it won that. But it won some other stuff that was just wild. Um, and then the movie that we watched today, Pride and Prejudice, and she said that that, like, overall Pride and Prejudice, which there had been a handful of iterations so yeah my understanding is there's a six hour one with colin firth which we did not touch with a 10 foot stick here for this podcast fun fact that i found out while doing research apparently bridget jones's diary is supposed to be a like modern adaptation of pride and prejudice which i did not know but oh like the tempest of the shrew or uh um west side story is romeo and juliet <laughs> sort of thing yeah oh, okay cool yeah, I got your joke. I'm just not acknowledging it. We got to move, move on. I don't know. I don't know what joke you're talking about. Uh huh. Yeah. Real funny. Anyway, uh, yeah. So, uh, more to your point, like I've seen all the movies my dad says he liked, and um, usually my, my, my dad literally waited until my mom left town when I was like 12 to show me a Clockwork Orange. So I really didn't have much say in the matter. Right. Uh, and and another thing about like. This sort of category of movies made for moms and like, it it's not. It was it wasn't really like when when someone would ask a mom like, "What's your favorite movie?" It sort of had to be like a, a child appropriate or like you know like dads were yeah. allowed to say stuff like, "Oh, my favorite movie is yeah that, John that, Wayne movie." Or my, like, my my dad would say The Wild Bunch or Clockwork Orange and Martha would say, "Oh, Toy Story 2. Right, like it's and it's. I don't think it's mom's fault. It's just like that's sort of a thing. And then 
uh, more recently they've sort of been creating movies specifically for moms, like moms, like Bad Moms Club and uh, like, Magic Mike. I think that's more for like younger ladies. Not that moms aren't young. That's a weird sentence. But, but I mean, I, I, but I think you bring up an important point that it seemed like whenever guy, my dad got to pick a movie, it was always a movie he liked. And whenever my mom got to pick a movie that we'd watch, it was always what movie in her best judgment the whole family would like. Yeah, that makes sense. So um, I, I, I think my my dad was probably much more focused on like the art form or the you know was this Francis Ford Coppola right. or Kubrick, and my mom was like, well, what is the what will my what will my my two sons like and what will my husband not hate? So yeah. she was much she was much more about the experience of the movie than the movie itself. Right. And um, we had not sought these movies out on our own in our life to watch before now as it is. So that's kind of, you know, part of the whole consuming new media aspect of this podcast is like, I didn't, I also, I didn't want this to be one of those things where like we watch the movie wine country or like, you know, uh, bad moms like I didn't want it to be a punishment sort of episode and also like I I don't think my mom watched either of those movies so sort of keeping with that yeah I mean I I think once (laughs) I think we were pretty ready to abandon this project based on what our responses our moms gave us Um, and I think the fact that both our moms gave us movies that we knew enough about to know we probably should have seen them. <laughs> I think went a long way to saying, yeah, let's do this. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, the two movies we picked, we got, um, 2005's pride and prejudice, uh, directed by a man named Joe Wright, mm-hmm. which, uh, this was his feature directorial debut, um, based on the Jane Austen novel of, uh, 1813. Uh, real quick, for anybody who doesn't know what it's about, it's about an English family. The phrase is, they're landed gentry. Um, they're trying to deal with the issue of they only have daughters. And so the land and the wealth uh, that ha- that the family owns will not stay with the family once the father passes away unless uh, it can somehow be kept in the family. And that's the plot point with, like, that weird cousin guy, that short guy who's, like, very insecure. He yep. was offering to marry one of the daughters and keep the, the, the family wealth in the family. Um, but the main character we follow is Karen Knightley's uh, Elizabeth Benton. No, that's wrong. Sorry, Elizabeth Bennett or Lizzie Bennett, um, as she falls apparently in love with Matthew McFadden's, uh, Mr. Darcy. Um, let's see what was, what else was interesting about this? Uh, real real quick comment. I don't know. Uh, I've never seen Matthew McFadden in anything else except that halfway through this, I realized that he plays the absolute doofiest character on HBO's succession. Oh, Uh, there's, modern hit. Yeah, yeah. So there's all the family members, and then there's the doofy brother-in-law Tom that is always just talking about like 
bottles and models and strippers, notwithstanding that he's a walking Brooks Brothers ad. And he's just he's just the, the biggest doof on the show. Uh, and he's played by Matthew McFadden as well. So the man's got some chops. Apparently, before this movie, he wasn't well-known outside of the UK. Well, and, and I haven't seen him on a thing. So I've, I mean, I've never... I, I thought Succession was the first thing he ever did. So he's kept him. He's definitely kept himself a good secret. And then uh, Keira Knightley was fresh off of the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie when she did this. And um, apparently something interesting about like the casting is that all of the characters are pretty close in age uh, to the what they're playing in real life. So, like, the characters and their actors are, like, within four or five years of each other, which, you know, is pretty unusual when it comes to romantic comedies or movies about people who are in their early 20s. Well, yeah, especially, like, a, an old British period piece. Usually you'd have the the supple young daughters being sold off to the 65-year-old troll. Right. And a couple more characters that you might have known uh, from this movie. We got uh, the one of the sisters is played by Jenna Malone, who was in the movie Saved, and she was also in um, Donnie Darko. And then yep. Rosamund Pike plays the oldest sister, Jane. She's from Gone Girl, and that's what I originally had it as my connection there. We also get uh, Donald Sutherland is their father. He is not from the UK, but he is Canadian, so that's fun. Yeah. And then uh, Dame Judi Dench. Uh, graces us with her presence as an over-the-top... Uh, is she a duchess? Uh, Baroness. Baroness, there you go. She does a great job um, being... You know, you know the, uh, the, the sisters were stacked, because uh, right there after Jana Malone was Carrie Mulligan, who oh. played the uh, the lead, uh, who was, you know, wed the starring role in Gatsby and played the girlfriend on Drive. Wow. That uh, uh, Ryan, what's-his-face, falls in love with? Gosling. Gosling. And I knew it was a duck. Yeah. The smallest of them all. And then um, the mom is played by a woman named Brenda uh, Blythen, I'm going to guess, who um, I don't recognize from anything, but she is a. Uh, oh, she plays Vera in the show's Vera. But she, um, she's a, a famous British actress who I think does a great job in the role. Uh, also, a, a good a good shout out. Um, so, uh, Rosamund Pike's paramour in the film is a guy named Bingley, and uh, Bingley's sister, who is always whispering in Bingley's and Mister Darcy's ear, is played by the same woman who played Vince Vaughn's wife in the second season of True Detective. Which uh, everybody can agree is not the best season, but she does a good job in the show. It's not yeah, her fault. No, it's not. Her doing a good job wouldn't have saved it. I'll put it that way. <laughs> uh, the director, Joe Wright, um, not really known for much else besides uh, British movies. Uh, he did do Anna Karenina, which I guess that's Russian, right? Technically, technically Russian or at least Eastern Bloc. It might be Czech. And then uh, he also directed Atonement, another um, Keir Knightley uh, vehicle, and then he did Darkest Hour with that's right, Gary Oldman playing who's that? That's Winnie the Churchill, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> um, I haven't seen it. 
Uh, I have watched Gary Oldman play some pretty wild roles, so um, I, I'm looking forward to watching that at some point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Gary Oldman's the Commissioner Gordon and the villain in uh, uh, <laughs> The Fifth Element. Man, that guy's got range, all right? That's <laughs> all I'm saying. Uh, I, and I, I did see Darkest Hour. It was good. It was a little like, why am I here, which is what I felt during the King speech, too, but it was a good movie. That's fair. Like it's it's a it's not a bad movie and it's like this I'm I'm sure this is an interesting story it just seems unusual that it's a really well done movie that I care nothing about. We mentioned how uh, there was a BBC adaptation which was multiple hours. This one uh, came in at two hours and nine minutes and uh, caught a you know a handful of flack for that. Uh, it did say that there's a handful of Austin scholars which um, if you don't know that there's a rabid following of Jane Austen than you are, I guess, living under a rock. Um, they thought that Wright's work created a new hybrid genre by blending traditional traits of the heritage film with youth-oriented filmmaking techniques, which I did notice there was a lot of, like, zoom-ins in this movie that seemed, like, not anachronistic, just, like, unusual for a period piece. Yeah, I mean, I, I think usually when I think of period pieces, I think, I mean, period pieces are almost as obsessed with the the background as they are with the foreground. So you usually have like a lot a lot of wide courtly shots that like, like static. Their, that, well, they're just, that just they're always trying to make sure you know where you are and when you are. Um, but you know, there were scenes in Pride and Prejudice where. You know, they'd be at a at a gazebo or a mausoleum in the rain in the middle of nowhere. It could have right. easily been thirty years ago as two hundred thirty years ago. Yeah, it sort of had like a the aesthetics sort of reminded me of like um, I know they're different people, but like the uh, Emily Bronte's um, Weathering Heights, sort of like where there's like a bunch of fog and the moors, but just you know, like distance. You know, I, I know I was aware that the uh, that the miniseries was much longer, and I wonder. You know, I, I always I've never seen any iteration of Pride and Prejudice, but I, I've heard in pop culture like Mr. Darcy as like mm-hmm. this brooding, will he, won't he kind of mysterious guy who seems aloof but is really cool. And you know, I almost wonder. You know, even though it was two hours, it they, it felt kind of rushed to develop that persona on this sure. Mr. Darcy. And I wonder if it's easier if he's like kind of a, a more fleeting presence across, you know, five six hours, hours yeah. than he is as, you know, uh, a pretty, a pretty consistent presence separate only by like tens of minutes at a time in a two hour movie. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, I, I don't know if I'm going to watch that mini series though. No, I'm, I'm just going to wonder aloud and leave it there. Sounds good. All right. And switching to, uh, your mom's favorite movie, the sound of music. Um, a 1965 American music drama. Um, it is directed by a man named Robert Wise, who, among other things, did an adaptation of, or the film adaptation of West Side Story, which we were just talking about. It stars uh, Julie Andrews. Um, I think she had just done uh, Mary Poppins before this. Um, and then Christopher Plummer, who up to this point... I think he was just a star of the stage because I have a thing here saying that um, Christopher Plummer 
uh, Wise had seen him on Broadway and wanted him for the role, but the stage actor continually refused him. So I don't know what changed that. I'm sure there's a lot of history about it, but I thought he did a great job. Christopher Plummer uh, most recently uh, reprised the role of the old man in Knives Out, which I, I recommend that movie. Isn't Christopher Plummer also the guy who they went in and photoshopped over Kevin Spacey? Um, Recently. Yeah, like after after Kevin Spacey's Me Too movement, like there was a movie that had been entirely shot, I think about maybe the Lindbergh baby, I'm not sure, but uh, about some kind of kidnapping. Um, and they went back and put Christopher Plummer in for every scene where Kevin Spacey was. Yikes. Well, you know, that's what you get when you're a jerk. Um, so this movie... Uh, is an adaptation of a stage musical that came out that started in 1959, um, composed by Rodgers and Hammerstein's. Rodgers and Hammerstein, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the screenplay was originally written by a man named Ernest Lehman, um, which was in turn adapted from a memoir called The Story of the Trapp Family Singers, which was written by Maria von Trapp, which is crazy. Um, Real quick plot analysis or uh, summary here: The film is about a young Austrian postulant. Didn't know that was a word in Austria in 1938, who's sent to a villa of a retired naval officer and widower, uh oh, to be the governess of his seven children. After bringing love and music into the lives of the family, she marries the officer and, together with the children, finds a way to survive the loss of their homeland to the Nazis. Did you know that this movie had so much Nazis in it? Um, I, I've i been aware a while of the meme of Christopher Plummer as a young man tearing a Nazi banner in half. Um, I've seen that more and more the last couple of years. So I knew Nazis, <laughs> I knew, I knew Nazis were in it. I, I didn't really realize that Nazis were the second act. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, I, I didn't know the extent to which Nazism was in this movie. I thought it was kind of like a back a backdrop and it was more kind of a plot device. Yeah. Um so real quick, apparently the critical response to the film was mixed when it originally came out, but it was a major commercial success. Um in nineteen sixty six, just a, a little over a year that it had been out, it was it surpassed Gone with the Wind as the highest grossing film of all time. And it held that distinction for five years, which is insane. It received five Academy Awards, and in 1998, uh, AFI, the American Film Institute, listed it as the 55th greatest American movie of all time, and the fourth greatest mus- movie musical. Um, they said that uh, adjusted for inflation, as of 2014 movie prices, it had earned 2.36 billion dollars. <laughs> placing it among the top 10 highest grossing films of all time, which is incredible. Wow. Yes, just some more facts about... So Maria von Trapp wrote this. It was called The Story of the Trapp Family Singer. She published it in 1949 uh, to promote her family singing group following the death of her husband in 1947. And then there's... Uh, apparently she sold the rights to the film for uh, back then the in 1956 for the equivalent so she sold it for $9,000 which adjusted for inflation and today is 85 grand so she sold the rights in, 80, in 1956 and then uh, it was released in West Germany good timing 
uh, was a major success in 1956, and then uh, just grew in uh, popularity. Got picked up by Paramount Pictures in 1956, and at one point they were thinking of having Audrey Hepburn uh, play the lead role. You know, it, it, it's wild how quickly, like, um, I was thinking about this the other day with the, the producers, which came out in 67, you know, and deal heavily kind of like with Nazism. Yeah. I mean, if this was written in 47, that's two years after, you know, Adolf Hitler committed suicide. Like, like Nazism was still pretty fresh when this was written then. And it was written, and that's the whole thing, I think, with the Western Germany thing is, like, it's written as, like, these guys were the bad guys and we survived it sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Some interesting stuff. Uh, apparently, before Christopher Plummer acquiesced to take the role, they wanted they uh, Kevin floated, Bacon. They floated oh, no, Kevin. <laughs> who's, who's the who's the who's the pederast? Uh, Kevin Spacey. <laughs> they floated Bing Crosby, Yul Brenner, Sean Connery, and Richard Burton for the role of the captain. I could see Bing, but that's about it. Uh, so that's kind of interesting. I don't know why they would have like because Sean Connery and Richard Burton, they're both. British, right? Because they both yeah. played Bond at some point. Isn't Sean Connery Scottish? Oh, there you go. That's right. He's of the UK variety. Um, yeah. So that's a little bit of the backstory of both of those movies. Uh, is there anything I uh, missed or that you wanted to point out or highlight? Um, no. No, I think that's pretty comprehensive. Okay. Um, so we'll be back in just a second to discuss the four criteria we have decided on to judge which one of these mom favorite movies is the best. Okay, and we're back. Um, today, our uh, four criteria for deciding which one of these mom movies is better. We're going to start with rewatchability. Um, then we're going on to uh, actually um, Annette suggested this category which we thought was great portrayals of motherhood um, which one of these movies did a better job of showing uh, what it's like to be a mom and all the uh, complexities you know um, ups downs peaks valleys joys and upsets with uh, how, how'd the movie do with that um, Arthur you want to cover the next one about the eye rolling oh yeah the the next is the the eye roll factor and I, I think since we're talking about you know the favorite movies of a previous generation I think any any movie from a previous generation should engender in the next generation some degree of eye rolling you know whether it's you know <laughs> your dad playing like his rock and roll tapes for you or you know your mom, you know, showing you home videos. There's always this kind of like, ah, oh, geez, you know, like a, a f- these, these don't these don't even taste like apples kind of moment. The um, audible uh, shoulder shrug of, well, I knew it was crazy back then, but we still liked it. Like, yeah, the 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 ah shucks sense. So yeah. I, I think, you know, we should if we're evaluating the favorites of our mothers. We have to, you know, acknowledge one thing our mothers do better than anyone else. Uh, one thing our mothers do better than anyone else, which is embarrass us. So let's, you know, talk bad. about the way where it's like, Ugh, okay. Yeah. So, um, and then our last one is we're going to try and come up with why we think 
each mom decided on this movie to be in our top five favorite movies. And then we're going to call our moms and we're, whoever gets closest to the reason why the mom has this in her top five, that movie is going to win. I guess this is sort of like, it's a little bit about us knowing movies and our moms. There's, there's, there's a little bit of uh, the newlywed game. And actually, I'd go a step further and say that if I win, then we do the ACDC podcast. And if Mike wins, I'll never bring it up ever again. There's that's not what this part's about. Like the, but it's, it's a competition. no, we're letting the seventeen votes decide. The seventeen emails. If I win either one, we do the ACDC one. That's that's a tall order. <laughs> I really don't want to expose myself to to a cover band that I haven't vetted. You know, <laughs> just a little shocked. No, nah, I'm fine with that. We're all adults here. One time, I didn't understand uh, how like a dead man switch worked on this like really old lawnmower and I definitely had I sat down very fast when I touched the spark plug so we've all experienced things you know but anyway that's that's content for the next one I shouldn't I shouldn't squander it here that's my bad which movie do you think did a better job portraying motherhood let's start with that one I think that's interesting I struggle with better I mean I think they both kind of had utilitarian views of motherhood because you know, the mother, uh, Mrs. Bennett, you know, really saw her role as to not be affectionate and not be kind of a fun caregiver, but really to get these girls out of the house and get them married as soon as possible. Like she had a very utilitarian view of what her job was. Uh, and if you look and I, and I think, you know, that's a product of the times. I mean, I think they've kind of baked in some of the period piece into the mother. Right. Uh, but I think, you know, I think if you look at The Sound of Music, the role of the mother is just the opposite. It's that these kids without a mother have no avenue for affection or frivolity. And so the the role of the mother and, – and that that's viewed as something necessary. Like the kids need a mother. They need a governess. They need a – someone keeps coming in and trying to fill, you know, some, some mom-shaped hole in their lives. What about that blonde woman? She was pretty good, right? Ah, she was a – I, that was when I thought the movie was going to turn into a real parent trap situation, and I was excited about it. Remember how they played that ball game where they said numbers out loud? Yeah, they just fun. said numbers and then just beefed her right in the gut. And she's like, let's all take a break. This is exhausting. I'm like, man, it must suck to not have TV, you know? Yeah, they're like, like she like would hand them the ball and say four, and he'd go, little Klaus would go, I'm six, and then he just belted right in the stomach. <laughs> Oh, so fun fact about we I mentioned earlier about the age thing. Uh, while we were watching, we looked up uh, the oldest daughter is only three years younger than Julie Andrews in the filming of the movie. Not not the characters, but the real life actors. That's Isn't, fine. It's not great. You know, just marry your dad. You know, let's two birds one stone. It's a <laughs> that was that was in the original when it was still being played by Kevin Spacey. <laughs> it's like also just not great that like her boyfriend was an active Nazi, you know. That that doesn't turn out well for anybody. I don't know. He kind of ended up being a wuss. <laughs> yeah, and not being a Nazi, he was a wuss. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Because like when when they unadulterated, he just yelled Heil Hitler. I'm like, oh boy, didn't know. <laughs> Is this like one of those editing tricks, like that they forgot that it was in there, or like, you know how like uh, 
George Lucas, like, you know, adds the whole thing where, like, Han shots second, I thought they were going to, like, edit this out, you know, like, Disneyify it, but nope. It's in there. Okay, so... Honest points. Honest points. So where are we coming at for portrayal of motherhood? So I, I, I think it? portrayal of motherhood... I think they both get it wrong, but I think I like Sound of Music better just because it's, you know... The the the, mo- the mother is an agent of silliness, and my own mom was about as silly as possible. So, I think that that rings more true for me, and I like that portrayal better. Although I have a lot of sympathy for Miss Bennett, you know, anyone that tries to get anyone to marry that little hobbit dwarf prayer asshole, I think is going to have a tough time stacking up. It didn't really seem like Julie Andrews was an authority figure in the movie and I wonder if that's because like the father Christopher Plummer the captain was so much of the authority figure you know what I mean like I didn't see any disciplining like you see more disciplining uh, as when Julie Andrews is um, Mary Poppins and she is like you know you gotta take your medicine and in this movie, she like they get to stay up late, you know. That even though there's a, like there's a thunderstorm, like they're they're eating food at in inopportune times. They're wearing curtains for clothes. Like there's all these things where it's just like she's oh trying. God. She's trying you're to be. Su- there. You're, su- you're such a von trap. <laughs> she's trying to be. <laughs> you're, just, you're gonna have a whistle for your kids. <laughs> but here's the thing: it's gonna be a whistle that only they can hear because my old ears can't pick up that pitch. I'm a. Yeah. Yeah. But it's gonna be a dong whistle. <laughs> um, what was? Uh, it sounded like you said dong whistle, and I know that's I, not what you I, said. <laughs> I did say that because oh, you're no. a, you're a dong for using it. Um, but uh, I mean, so I, I hear that, but I will point out that when they were hiding in the uh, burial site in the abbey, the second <laughs> yes. to littlest daughter said to Julie Andrews, because they were all scared, she's like, would this be a good time to sing a few of my favorite things? And Julie Andrews to her friend said, no, this would not be a fucking good time to sing a few of my favorite fucking things. Because <laughs> I mean, of, no, she... <laughs> of the murder that's about to happen. Yeah, because of all the goddamn Nazis next door. Maybe we don't sing Rainbows and Kittens for a moment, okay? So she's got, she's got boundaries. That's fair. I do think that... Um... The Mrs. Bennett was played for laughs because, and she's definitely both of these moms are played against the fathers. Where like, uh, like the the dad and or uh, what's his name, Donald Sutherland's definitely like the pushover in the just, family. Just just call him Hawkeye. <laughs> Donald Sutherland. Yeah, oh, from Mash. Donald Sorry. Sutherland was Hawkeye in the original Sorry. Mash. <laughs> it's you know I got I got Disney on the brain. I'm thinking you're talking about. Jeremy Renner. I'm like, is there is there a second one that I didn't see before? But anyway, uh, he's sort of like the pushover, and like he's he's wants you know the the daughters to get married out of you know compassion instead of like reason, and like he'd rather them be poor together than like sell off one of his daughters to the highest bidder if she doesn't love him, which is you know good for dads and all that but like the mom has to sort of live in the real world and that requires her to be pretty overbearing at times and like very like silly at times and she has to sort of like play by the rules of this because like they're all going to like be destitute and 
Yeah. Unless the mom keeps her head on straight because, like, the the dad's too busy with the the pig. Also, would, did it disconcert you the same way it did me when we saw that giant pig and it sort of seemed like they were zooming in on his giant balls? And I, Or is that just me? I, I don't think it seemed like it. They definitely did zoom in on his giant balls. Okay. <laughs> Maybe that's what they were talking about when they were talking about, like, modern film, youth-oriented filmmaking techniques. Yeah, like, no, that's, that's, that's what gets the kids going. <laughs> these days, you know. You gotta, give, you gotta give the kids a money shot. <laughs> God. This isn't your this isn't your grandma's Jane Austen. <laughs> yeah, this isn't your grandma's Jane Austen. Cut to pig nuts. <laughs> so I'm I'm gonna disagree and I'm gonna go with Pride and Prejudice Mom because like she's both caring and silly and like a victim of the times. So and Julie Andrews seems like a, she's trying to be she's too much trying to be a cool mom. I don't know. Not that your mom's not cool. I, I would much rather know your mom than Julie Andrews' mom. Plus, like, you already sing and, like, play instruments, so. Yeah, I did that on my, yeah. yeah. That's true. All right, let's move on to rewatchability. Which one of these would you most likely rewatch? Uh, other on your own or not under duress? I mean, we, we talked a little bit about how. I didn't even imagine myself seeing the other version of Pride and Prejudice. Right. Uh, I think I, I, I certainly don't regret watching Pride and Prejudice, but I think you know I'm, I'm I've, I almost was fine with seeing it because now I'll finally get the Mr. Darcy reference that I see in pop culture. Fair. Um, uh, but so I think it was fine. Um, it was definitely a good movie, but there's all kinds of good movies that I don't probably want to watch again. Right. And I think I think Pride and Prejudice is more in that category than sound and music. I thought, and I'm, you know, I, I'm not just playing favorites with Martha here. I thought sound of music was delightful. I yeah. thought that was a great movie. Yes. <laughs> I, you know, I, it held my attention the entire time. I was, you know, I, I think the one time I really zoned out is when Julie Andrews went back to the nunnery and the nun sang her a song about climbing hills. Can we talk and about, I, yeah, that's like, that woman. I, I I did not like how long that was and how yeah. you know but but, but that's but that that's one discreet scene that I could definitely get up and go to the bathroom for during the future. I just um, yeah I think that of the two movies, like Pride and Prejudice took itself seriously enough for me to watch it one t- one time through, and like you said, it was clearly it wasn't a bad movie. It's good cinema, but like especially because I know exactly how it's going to end now. Like there's no more, I'm not going to get more out of it where with the sound of music, like I really enjoyed how like the score matched some of the songs. And it was just like, it was the same song, but without lyrics this time and how they played different times. The band band at the end, like it's overture was playing like, you know, some of Julie Andrews' songs earlier. It was like a musical in a lot of ways. I mean, it was. And, and I think, you know, Pride and Prejudice, you know, I think, like Downton Abbey, like other things, um, I mean, I mean, you have a character like Mr. Darcy, I mean, and Elizabeth uh, Bennett, that there's a real will-they-won't-they they vibe, like there's a real Ross Rachel kind of whodunit will-they-won't-they, mm-hmm. and I think, I think that media is kind of almost intended to get a lot of its pleasure from building towards the resolution, which isn't the case on a rewatch when you know what happens. Yeah, exactly. And sort of 
I'm agreeing with you that Sound of Music is more rewatchable because, like, I think the things that made Pride and Prejudice not edgy but like new are so have permeated like film film now so much that like the surprise isn't there anymore. However, like maybe it's because it came out in 1965, but like I can appreciate like the physical humor so much more now because like it's no it's no longer present in filmmaking and it's sort of like part of a certain era where like Julie Andrews throws up her hands or like runs after a bus and like the the canoe tips over like all that stuff to me like I was it wasn't knee slapping but like I appreciated like that's a kind of quality that isn't around anymore and I liked seeing it you know and and um a, kind of the same but kind of different I know I didn't realize I mean I knew there were like songs yes. in sound of music yes I didn't know I didn't know it was funny or that like I didn't know I didn't realize the extent to which Julie Andrews was going to be a lovable misfit. Right. Like as as I watched it, I uh, I watched it with my wife and I turned to her in, in the middle of it and said, you know, I didn't realize how much Zoe Deschanel owes her very existence to this movie. The because original. this movie Yeah, the, the the incorrigible, ditzy, goofy, you know, stumbling all over herself, but like musically talented. Like that's a type that you see play out. Um, you know, and I can't think of I this is I think chronologically the first thing I've seen that has that type as early as it does. Not to mention how like she manages to do the adorable thing but then also has like a serious crisis that we also believe that she has. Like she's like I can't I have to leave because I'm not supposed to like marry someone. I'm supposed to be yeah. a nun. That's and like good. Like that that transition seemed legitimate to me, even though she is like, you know, I, I just love singing so much, dang it, you know. But yeah, I, I guess I guess it is dorkable. Like I guess I, I I can't think of anything earlier than Sound of Music that really honed in on the adorkable, you know, female protagonist. And and that's sort of a Pride and Prejudice, like the Lizzie Bennett character, this was one of the first times a character like that was in literature. So it's like it now it's like the strong-willed, you know, witty woman is all over the place and it's, it's kind of hard for us to appreciate that now because we're dudes and it's 2020 and we've seen it so much and we've seen it done poorly so much that like it's kind of hard to like recognize when it's done well also in context. So but uh now to the eye roll factor. So we said nice things, now it's time to be like all right. Yeah, um, I, I, I think, I think they, they both have a lot of eye roll factor to them. I think probably um, the I, I think just because it's a musical and it's already dealing with kind of like a very fictitious understanding of the world, let alone Nazi Germany. Yes. Um, I, I think there's a lot more, and and, and I think it, the best thing about the sound of music is the worst thing about it is that it's, it, it is kind of like this fictitious, like, you know, when Julia, um, Andrews said the thing about, Oh yeah, I can't believe you guys gave me a gift when it was so important for me to be like loved and all the kids start crying. I'm like, kids don't cry because they put a frog in your fucking pocket. <laughs> like, I, like, there was a pine cone on her chair. Yeah. Like, oh, no we really got you, you it, it reminds me of the time when, uh, Marge Simpson was substituting for Bart. <laughs> 
And like they fart first ran up and pulled the tack off her chair. Right. And then Millis is like, no, the other prank. <laughs> and he like he jumps over before like a log crashes through the school and slams right where March's head was gonna be. Like And March's I, famous like one liner after that is, Oh, we had that back in my day. <laughs> just like Yeah, and just I think so I, I think just like the the kids were kinda hokey and fake and goofy and oh yeah, all the kids are running around I mean like like, oh, I'll just make outfits out of these drapes. And then, right. like, you know, these <laughs> otherwise too cool for school boys are running around in floral lederhosen. Right. But um, they were cool with it because they didn't go to school. So. Yeah, but they, they didn't go to school. So, I mean, I think there's definitely uh, – the, the, there's a more of an eye roll factor for me uh, in uh, Sound of Music. But I, I think there's two good re- – two laudatory reasons for it. One is because – it's a musical and it, it trades in kind of, you know, fanciful suspension of belief regarding, you know, social norms. And two, I think probably Pride and Prejudice was a bit too stiff to have any real eye roll moments. I think that, like, inherently in a romantic comedy, which Pride and Prejudice was, you have to be like, oh, like, this, they hated each other, but now they love each other and so little has happened. Like, if if you go into any movie and you're like, how could this happen in just this amount of time? Like you're watching, you're, you're not very good at watching movies. And so like, same thing with like the the romance in both movies. You can say, oh, is legitimately eye rolly, where it's just like, no, he she's like a she changed his children from like people that follow the rules to people that sing. Why does that make him fall in love? And then like the same sort of thing where it's like, well. They just like sort of talk to each other like maybe collectively forty five minutes and now they're in love. That doesn't make any sense. Like, is dancing really that important back then? Like, there's all these sort of things where it's like, if if you get eye rolly about that, then you're you shouldn't be watching movies at all. You but, know, and, and but really the difference points out for me what a simpleton I am because in my mind, like every love, every romantic comedy or romantic any romance story should always have a montage because if you do a montage where you show just a bunch of interactions together that completely solves that for me like if there if there's a montage i'm like oh that love is totally believable but if there's no montage i'm like they i saw two hours of interaction (laughs) that never does it you're like i don't think they're gonna last (laughs) yeah this is this is eliminate so i just i just think it's so easy to fix just show them walking in the park, them on a date. Oh look, someone fell in a fountain and they're laughing. They're not mad because they're having fun. They're sh- like first they're sharing an ice cream cone, you know, and then they're sh- like on a carousel ride. And you're like clearly, yeah. So, and then someone drops their cone, then the other one shares it with the one who dropped it, yeah. and then they laugh. And then someone wins a bear at a fair mm-hmm. uh, on a claw machine, yeah. and. You know, love, clearly that she gives the bear to a kid that doesn't have a bear, and he's like, "Oh, she could be a good mother." And you know, it's all those little things that you know. To just if they could just do a montage of them of the two people at a fair every time, I'll be satisfied. And I, so I'm gonna go with the sound of music as more eye rolly, just because like Prime Prejudice is supposed to be played for its realism. Like it takes something that is fanciful, like even for the time, and like grounds it as hard as it can in a reality that yes is made up but like it's supposed to be like oh the, you know this makes sense and like the 
the dangers and the perils are real and they bring this up as much as they can and like the sound of the music is like you know they're not going to get caught by Nazis, right? Like they're they're not going to let that little girl, uh, yeah. like uh, or anything. That would be insane. And like the eye-rolliest thing that happened was literally the ending. Which spoilers, you know, this movie's been out for a while. Um, it was also a book before then, so geez, read a book. But like the fact that they just uh, like run away. <laughs> And the greatest, you know, army of in the world at the time just sort of lets them go, and then they disappear into the mountains, a la Osama bin Laden. And you know, they're 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 going to be fine. And I guess the irony is that that's the most realistic part is that this family survived in the mountains. <laughs> yeah, I th- I think you know I I when I was watching it, I remember at uh, near the end, I turned to Annette and I said, "Man, this movie has no." Uh, World War II credibility and they don't cut to a scene where the Abbey is on fire and the Nazis are just shooting all the nuns that help them escape. They did not like Catholics, fun fact. Well, so. like, like, like at that point, the, the, the nuns had both hidden the Von Trapp family from the Nazis and stolen the spark plugs out of the Nazis' car. Like, I, I mean, legit Nazis, this is a bad aftermath for the nuns. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so last of all is our... The, the why do we think this is our mom's favorite movie so we're each going to guess why the particular mom likes the particular movie and then we'll call the moms afterwards so why do you think your mom likes the sound of music and then I'll tell you why I think your mom likes the sound of music so the, um, it didn't crack my mom's top five but there was probably a 10 year period from you know 2002 2003 up through about 2015 where my mom's self-avowed favorite movie was a movie with ewan mcgregor and renee zellweger called down with love okay and if you pressed her on the names of the characters or the events of the plot (laughs) or just what happened at the end she had no idea at all about anything in the movie but after the credits okay there was a music video where ewan mcgregor and renee zellweger danced around on a, on a mad manish set and sang a duet called down with love and that was the only reason she liked the movie and said it was her favorite movie for a decade was because of that post-credits music video um <laughs> So I, I'm going to have to say that I think my mom chose The Sound of Music for its music. And I think everything else is probably a distant, distant – Couldn't I mean, one of the things we might do when we call her is ask her to relate the plot of Sound of Music to us because there's a fair chance she can't um, because I think she just loves good music and loves singing along. And, you know, I've seen – I remember her and my aunt – like singing the good night song when I was a kid. Like I, I, I think it's, I think it's just the music. Okay. Um, so I'm going to go with, she liked it because it is whimsical. Yep. Um, and it tells a nice story of a family coming together. I like that. I think your mom liked pride and prejudice because I think it's a story of 
I mean, I, I, I think, I think, why I think your mom liked Pride and Prejudice for the reasons a lot of people like Pride and Prejudice, which is because it's kind of all about love, kind of circum circumnavigating social norms. And I, I think that's why they like it is because, you know, in this time of austerity and wealth and kind of crippling decorum, people were able to like, you know, break free and confess their love to one another outside rainy mausoleums. And I think that's as attractive as it is now as it was, you know, 40 years ago. And I think people just like, I, I, I think people like the propriety and civility of that kind of decorum, but I think they also like tearing it down for the right reasons. I'm going to say my mom likes it because it's a nice romance and they have good costumes. So my mom, like self-avowed, hates breeding. She's like, She's like, you know, I've watched Jane Eyre and I've watched Pride reading? and Prejudice. She oh, hates okay. reading. She's like, these, reading. she's like, I'll, ne- uh, you know, I feel like I should have read the book by now, but I've seen Jane Eyre like twenty-five times. I've watched Pride and Prejudice, all the different ones, like a bunch of times. She's like, but I just, you know, I just not interested in reading. So, like, there's no connection to like that. So, and she, she's always a sucker for you know romantic comedies. But she also likes appropriate things. And that's why I added the nice romance thing. Like, if I told her, if my mom told me that Bridget Jones' diary was in her top five, I would not believe it because there's, like, swear words in it. And I think there's a whole scene about her underwear. And I'm just like, that's not that's not my mom's cup of tea. Oh, I'm also going to add that it's British. She likes British stuff. You know, there's a, a Gilbert and Sullivan musical that... Uh, the entire plot line hinges upon, you know, this guy being and maybe not really deserving it, and it only comes out that he doesn't deserve it when he accidentally says "damn it" in front of his troops. <laughs> and it's such an unforgivable breach in decorum that he is, you know, de-escalated to the lowliest ranks. <laughs> I think and that society can finally proceed as it must. That that's what the 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 story of atonement is. It's like this guy uses the C word in a letter and then he like gets sent to the front lines or something. I don't, like, I'm not, I'm not completely up to date on what it is, but I know that that's a major plot point. Yeah. I, I've, I've heard a lot about atonement over the years. Haven't, uh, I think atonement and notebook yeah. are two movies that are talked to me, uh, that are talked to me a lot about, and I still haven't seen. Well, you're just not a you're not a Ryan Gosling apologist for some reason, so. But I, I, I do love Crazy Stupid Love. I did not see that coming. Okay. <laughs> that's a good movie. That's a really good movie. <laughs> All right. Um. Okay. So now we are going to take a break, and we'll be back in a second because we're going to call our moms. I think we should also use this time. So usually. At the end of each episode, we talk about recommendations. Um, I don't know if we should recommend movies that our moms like. Should we just ask our moms to recommend a movie? Or do you think that I, would I, make them uncomfortable? I, I think we should ask our moms to recommend a movie. Okay. So we'll be back in just a second. Hey, I'm here. All right, I'm going to patch Martha in. Okay. Mike and Mom? Hey. Hey, hey, 
Good. How are you? I'm very good. Very good. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. How's, how's, your, how's your mother doing? She's doing good. 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 Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. So you, you, have, you and David have a little, uh, little thing going here, huh? A little um, podcast thing? Yeah, it's a, it's a quarantine project. So did yeah. did he explain why we're calling you? Yes. Okay. So we watched The Sound of Music, and we both uh, came up with a reason we thought that you liked it. So can you tell us why you liked The Sound of Music? Sure. Um, I liked it because, first of all, I, I, love, I love the songs. I love the songs in it. Um, I liked the whole storyline. I liked the fact that it's... It was, you know, this young nun um, coming to be a nanny, and I thought a lot of the stuff with the kids were funny, and how the the Aaron was such a, you know, kind of a jerk initially. And but I love the the love story between the two of them, how it took, you know it, it, it took with you know, the, how they took the dance together and um and so, so you, love. You, you say first and foremost of the, the songs. I think it was the songs, yeah. yeah. The songs that, that, that she did with with the kids. Yeah, I think it was the songs first, and maybe the storyline yeah. and the, the romantic part of it, yeah. Makes sense to me. Um, do you have any other movies you'd like to recommend Mike's audience for uh, a good top marks of picks? Yes, um, It's a Wonderful Life. That's a good one. That one has music in it, but isn't a musical, right? It is not a musical. It's not a musical, right. Yeah, it's just a story of, yeah, well, you know the story. You've seen it, but it's a real good story. It gets dark, but then it just shows how life is good, you know? Are you a big Jimmy Stewart fan? Yes, I am. I love Jimmy Stewart. Well, thanks so much for being here. Uh, I don't know if uh, Arthur gave you the full details of everything, so we appreciate you helping out. Oh, I, my, my pleasure. My pleasure. Mom, happy Mother's Day. I love you. Thank you very much. Love you, too. Bye-bye. So I'm going to call in my mom now. Sounds like this American life. Hello? Hey, Mom. Hi. I got Dave on the line, too. Hi, Dave. How are you? Congratulations on your baby. Thank you so much. And thanks for sending the picture. He's adorable. And the girls just look like they love him so much. <laughs> they've been fawning and fighting over him ever since they've had. So just, just the <laughs> oh my goodness. So, Mom, we watched Pride and Prejudice, and we made two guesses as to why it's one of your favorite movies. So we want you to tell us why it's one of your favorite movies. Well, I love a love story. <laughs> And it was a good love story. It made me laugh. It made me cry. And um, the romance blossoms at the end. <laughs> Go ahead. And I was going to say, and another thing, I love the way Elizabeth Bennett, her character, even though they're not as wealthy as the Darcy's and the Bingley's, she doesn't change the way she is to... Um, fit in with the wealthy. Okay. She just remains herself. And uh, 
would you mind giving us another recommendation for a movie that you like that other people should watch? Oh, I love Jane Eyre. That's another one. It always makes me cry, but it's a really good story, an interesting story about a young girl. She falls in love with the wealthy. She's like the nanny for his daughter, and she falls in love with him, and he doesn't even notice her. But then in the end... (laughs) You're giving it away. (laughs) I didn't say everything. (laughs) (laughs) I don't feel like it. Well, for me, so I'm excited to watch it. Have you ever seen Jane Eyre? That's I've not. Awesome. I, and I've never seen Pride and Prejudice before now. So <gasps> I was, oh my gosh! It's such well, a good one. You know, Mrs. Bono. Um, you know, uh, Annette and I, we had come up with five movies that the other one needed to see before we got married. And oh yeah. With, with wedding planning and everything else, things got so crazy. We tried to watch, and one of Annette was Pride and Prejudice. So oh. we tried to we tried to watch it before our wedding, but I think we were so exhausted from planning that we both fell asleep <laughs> in the first twenty minutes. So we went back and watched it. So I was able to one watch one of your favorite movies, and also fulfill part of my wedding vows to my wife. So. <laughs> Take, Mom. It's got the oil of Olivier. (laughs) (laughs) It's an old one. Has Orson Welles as the lead, and he is like this slender, very handsome man. You would have never guessed it was him from like his later movies. Orson Welles playing a slender man. (laughs) (laughs) This was in his younger, slimmer days. Thanks a lot for coming on, Mom. Oh, well, thanks for asking me. And Dave, say hello to Annette and the girls and kiss that little Arthur. <laughs> I, I absolutely will. Okay. See you guys later. All right. Happy Mother's Day. Thank you. All right. Love you. Bye. Bye. Hey, so who do you think won this? I, I think I clearly won it. Okay, so here's the thing. You... <laughs> hedged pretty heavily you like openly just said hey but like the music right mom <laughs> even though she yeah, did mention it was a nice funny. story about family I did, I did that to be funny she'd already clearly said the first thing she said was the music <laughs> in in my argument uh she did my mom did say it was a nice she said it was nice and it was a romance <laughs> However, anything about the period piece or the way people dressed or properness, she no propriety at all. But she mentioned how Jane Eyre is nice because it's old. Does that count? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, if if you want to call it in the letter writing campaign for the ACTC episode, that's fine by me. I think what I what what I could have done to clinch it is if I said that my mom liked it because it made her cry. If I if she if I had said that, then this would have been a clear win for this one. Yeah, probably a clear tie, but... Um, so, 
uh, with this one going to the Sound of Music, even if it went to Pride and Prejudice, Sound of Music turns out is the uh, the better mom favorite movie for this episode. Yep, I think that's uh, hands down. So uh, this has been Comparing Apples to Oranges. I'm Mike. I'm Archer. And we'll catch you next time. Bye. There it is. So long, farewell, I'll read you saying goodbye. I leave and heave a sigh and say goodbye. Goodbye. I'm glad to go. I cannot tell a lie. I flit, I float. I flee, 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 I fly. Thanks for listening. This was episode 50 of the podcast, and I hope you liked it. I uh, got that blogger site going. Go ahead and check it out if you want to look up some past episodes. That's thecatopodcast.blogspot.com. We got a couple of goodies in the show notes today. Go ahead and check those out too. If you have comments or ideas for future episodes of the podcast, go ahead and send them to uh, on Twitter. It's at the Cato Podcast, all one word, or email us at catopodcast at gmail.com. Just like Arthur was mentioning, uh, that's where the, the email voting campaign would be for that road trip where we shock each other. Uh, that's ill-conceived at best. Um, the intro, outro, and music bed music today was from the artist Leisure B with his great song Thumbs Up. And if you liked him and his music, go ahead and check him out at thehumanworkshop.com. My friend Liz uh, started a new podcast, and I've got a promo for it, so I'm going to play it right after this. Happy belated Mother's Day to all those mothers out there, and thanks for listening. We'll catch you next month. Bye. One thousand twenty-six years ago, superstition and the sword ruled. It was a time of fear, a time of gargoyles. Uh, uh, Liz, what are you doing? Oh, hey there, Daniel. Uh, I didn't see you. Um, I'm just watching gargoyles. The mid '90s Disney cartoon. Yeah. And do you always yell along with Goliath? Do you not? Fair point. So, did you maybe want to watch with me? Oh, and then make a podcast about it? Hells yeah! Yes, I'm so into it! We are Defenders of the Night! The most trusted source for top-to-bottom coverage of everyone's favorite mid-90s animated program, Gargoyles! Find us at CalamityCast.com or your favorite podcatcher. Rawr!